So far during this State of the Heart series, we've considered the need for a new heart, a humble heart, a generous heart, and then as we thought about the importance of a compassionate heart last week, uh, we looked at this 30-word summary of the entire Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And of the 600 plus commands that are found in the Old Testament, this one or these two, according to Jesus, are core. They're central. Do this, Jesus told the expert of the law, and you will live. Get this right, and in a sense, everything else should follow. But you'll remember that it was the second of these two commands that the expert in the law struggled with in particular. And so we spent some time last week on Homelessness Sunday thinking about what it means to love our neighbour. What does it actually mean to love those we come in contact with? This morning, I want us to turn our attention to the first part of this, to the love God dimension. Now this commandment first appears in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Moses told the people, love the Lord your God. But what I want us to notice is the level of commitment that Moses said was required. You've got to love God with all of your heart and with all your strength and with all your mind. There's intensity involved in this. It seems that loving God requires a level of devotion and surrender that is quite extreme. And whenever Jesus was referring to this commandment in Matthew's gospel, he actually said that this is not only the first commandment, but it's also the greatest of all the commandments. You must love God. If you're going to love God, you've got to love him with your entire being. No half measures. You cannot hold anything back but the thing is that God doesn't force any one of us to love him he doesn't coerce us to love him that's a choice that each of us have I choose to love God with my entire being but what I do believe is that God looks for and he longs to find those whose hearts are surrendered to him Look at these words from 2 Chronicles. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I understand that the Hebrew phrase, and Joanne can keep me right, the Hebrew phrase for a committed heart is this. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It's a covenantal term which means wholeheartedly devoted. And as I thought about that verse and I thought about what that means it struck me that as the eyes of the Lord scan this congregation this morning as God looks over us as a group of people it seems that he searches for those who love him with all their hearts And I know we've been saying and we've used that that phrase from the Psalms, search my heart, O God. And so again, as we step into this Sunday morning surgery, 
And as we allow God to search our hearts, what I want us to think about this morning is the importance and the need for a surrendered heart, for a heart that is fully devoted to our God. And to do this, I'd like to profile a couple of people. And the first of those is Solomon. And during these next 15 or 20 minutes, I am going to revisit some material that I shared with you as a congregation when I was here on the 3rd of June 2007. Now, I can hardly remember what I said last week, so the chances you remember what I said then are are very slim. But I'm going to revisit a little part of what I shared that morning concerning Solomon. You see, Solomon was an incredible human being. And we all know that God used him uh, significantly to accomplish his purposes. And God also used him to impact literally thousands upon thousands of people. Solomon knew what was required of him. He was under no illusion about the level of commitment that was necessary on his part and on the people's part if they were to continue to live for God. And so whenever the temple was finished during his reign as king and whenever the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the inner sanctuary, Solomon knelt and he prayed what is an incredible prayer that if you want to read it, it's found in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 23 through to 53. It's an amazing prayer of Solomon's. But as he finishes that prayer, he stands up, he blesses the people, and then he said these words to them. And may your hearts, here's how he finished this prayer, may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord your God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands. So Solomon was aware of the importance of a surrendered heart. He knew that this is what God was looking for. That half-hearted, lukewarm Christianity was never an option for those who had committed their lives to God. And so whenever you come, and as we did a year and a half ago, whenever you come to 1 Kings chapter 11, the shock of what you read, and also the sadness, is quite striking. And what it should act as is a warning A warning to each of us who have committed our lives to God. Because this is what we read there. That Solomon's heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. And in verse 9 of 1 Kings 11, the Lord became angry with Solomon. Why? Because his heart had turned away from God. And I wonder how, how many people, and maybe even some of us here, can identify with that journey. That at one point, maybe several points in our lives, we have knelt before God and we've committed our hearts to Him. We maybe even have recommitted our hearts to Him. And yet, today, our hearts are maybe no longer fully devoted, fully surrendered. At some point, or maybe at some point recently or at some time ago, Our hearts, like Solomon's, began for whatever reason, and we're going to look at that in a moment, but for whatever reason, our hearts began to turn away from that passionate pursuit that once characterized our lives. It happens. And I will guarantee you that sitting in this congregation this morning, many of us know people whom it has happened to, whose hearts once burned for God. But for whatever reason today, 
it seems they're spiritually shipwrecked or that their faith has run aground. And I know I have many friends here in that place who I continue to pray for and long that they would rediscover a fully devoted heart to God. And in a moment, I'm going to take a look at three of the causes of half-hearted Christianity. But before I do that, let me show you a list of names. Does anyone know who these are? That's not the team sheet for Manchester City. Does anyone, does anyone know who these guys are? No? If I was to add these two... Oh, yeah, right, okay. Who, who are they? The spies. Yeah, the first lot are the ten pessimistic spies who spent 40 days sussing out Canaan and they returned to Moses faith, fearful and unsure and unconvinced about entering the promised land. The other two who people do name their kids after. <laughs> and that says something in itself. They're well known to us, aren't they? But it's Caleb that I specifically want to profile alongside Solomon. If you do have a Bible and you want to turn to uh, Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14, verse 7, down to, down to 14, down to verse 14. Joshua chapter 14, verse 7. And as we generally do, let's stand together for the public reading of God's word. And this is Caleb speaking. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So that on that day Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Grab a seat again. Six times... Whenever the Old Testament records anything about Caleb, it uses this phrase or this word to describe him, wholehearted. And part of what is so brilliant and challenging about this this guy is that as he got older, his commitment didn't waver. In fact, if anything, as he got older, his commitment intensified. So in verse 10 it says, Here I am today and I'm 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. So as a 40-year-old, he had explored Canaan for Moses and his wholehearted devotion to God was tangible at that time. 45 years later, and he still totally surrendered. Caleb, as an elderly man, is as sold out for God as he ever was. So getting older doesn't necessarily mean that you lose your enthusiasm, you lose your edge, you lose your commitment. And some of the most wholehearted Christians I know are, and I say this respectfully, no spring chickens. They are far more passionate, far more radical, 
and far more committed to the Christian faith than I am or ever have been. And that encourages me and it challenges me because, and I've said this before, it's not just how you start that matters, but it's how you finish that really counts. And the thing is, lots of us maybe start well. The challenge we face in being the owners of a surrendered heart is whether we will finish well. And as I said earlier, I'm sure many of us know people who did start really well and yet today are struggling Caleb's wholehearted surrender to God was maintained but it wasn't just maintained it grew right throughout his lifetime whereas Solomon's heart seems to have drifted as he grew old and so the question I really want to ask us this morning is this where's it at with me where's it at with you Most of us who are sitting here have probably been Christians for many years. But as we sit here on the first Sunday of February 2009, would we describe ourselves as owners of a Caleb heart or owners of a Solomon heart? Is my heart wholly surrendered or is it no longer fully devoted? And as I said, there were three reasons why Solomon drifted. And these are probably the three main causes of half-hearted Christianity. And the first is disobedience. And whenever you read the story of Solomon, God had been, and this is where we are revisiting just a little bit of the material, God had been explicit with his people regarding the issue of marriage. God said in Deuteronomy 7, listen, don't marry those outside of the faith. Pretty direct on that one. But despite God's directness, Solomon chose to ignore the command and do his very own thing. And there's probably nothing that will affect your heart more negatively than blatant disobedience. Solomon knew what he was doing. And yet he went ahead and did it anyway. Which again throws up a very obvious question. Is there anything going on in my life that I know is wrong? And yet I still continue to do it. And we're back to something that I've been saying quite a lot recently and rather repetitively. And I'm going to repeat it again tonight. That knowing God's word and even believing it is never enough. We must follow it through and apply it to our daily activities and decisions. Solomon might have been the wisest man who ever lived, but he was still prone to ignoring the very God who granted him his wisdom, and the result was it damaged his heart. Whenever we disobey God, our heart suffers. The second cause of half-hearted Christianity is compromise. And, And compromise is different, or it certainly seems different, than disobedience, because disobedience is so clinical. Okay, God, I know what you've said, I hear what you've said, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's blatant disobedience. But compromise is far more subtle, far more gradual. You almost drift into compromise. It seems like a less conscious decision on your part. One writer talks about the creeping pace of accumulated compromise. And it's where you just start to mix it up a little bit. 
And before you know it, it and whatever it is for you, and for all of us it will probably be different things, but before you know it, whatever it is has become a part of your life to the point where you no longer check it. At one point you did, but not anymore. And over time, you no longer feel that bad about it because your conscience has almost been desensitized by repeated permissiveness. But the result of compromise, or the danger of compromise, is lukewarm Christianity, which, as we all know, leaves a sick, sour taste in the mouth of Almighty God. We are called to love God with all our hearts, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind. But compromise has this insidious ability to reduce that intensity. It erodes our commitment and distorts our devotion. Solomon, you see, didn't abandon the faith or totally deny God, as far as we can tell. But he did begin to just mix it up a bit. And what in Solomon's case was, he began to allow other stuff and other practices to just creep into his life. In fact, he allowed other stuff to creep into his very house. Things that were anything but helpful to his faith. And Solomon's specific area of compromise was that he allowed other gods to become a part of his life. And I suppose the real question that that throws up for me is this. Are there areas of compromise in my life? Is my affection at times placed elsewhere towards other gods? Because again, if there are, and if it is, then my heart's going to suffer. And the third and final cause of half-hearted Christianity is distraction. There were people and things in Solomon's life that began to solicit his affection. That took his eyes off God and began to reduce his commitment to God. But one of the things we, we know is that distraction in the Christian life is inevitable. There will always be people. There will always be things to tempt us unless we escape to a completely deserted environment. But here was the issue for Solomon. Some of the distractions were never meant to be within his very sight. Those other gods shouldn't have been anywhere near his house. And whenever we choose to place ourselves in situations where we risk becoming distracted, we leave ourselves incredibly vulnerable. And if we are being distracted by things that are inevitable, then we need to ask God to help us to deal with that. But if the distractions are self-inflicted, if we have chosen to allow them into our lives and we continue to entertain them, and again, you fill in the blanks, then the only appropriate response is to get rid of them. And that's something we're going to be looking at in a bit of detail this evening, into this evening service. Solomon got distracted. He lost his focus. And again, the question that this throws up for me is, is there something or is there someone in my life that's taken my eyes off God and that's causing my heart to wander? Disobedience, compromise, distraction, they mess with your heart and they mess with Solomon's. And as we've said before, the heart is the willing, loving, thinking center of a person. And therefore your heart affects your choices, your emotions, your thought life. 
And if your heart begins to drift, then you will make poor choices. You will allow other gods to compete for your affections. And you will begin to entertain inappropriate thoughts. It's just inevitable. So if you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind, and if you want to be wholeheartedly devoted to him, then learn the lesson from Solomon's life. But rather than just highlight the negative, because it could be really easy to just finish with that and not to be incredibly negative, I realize that and I don't want it to be. I want to finish by giving you four other things that we're encouraged to do with all of our hearts. Four other positive faith activities. I'm not going to take anywhere near as long on these. You can relax. But the first is this. I will praise you, God, with all of my heart. You see, a surrendered heart is a praising heart. It doesn't hold back. It expresses praise to God in word and song. It bursts with thanksgiving to God for all God has done, but not only for all God has done, but for who God is. Now, it doesn't always feel like it. I don't know how you felt as you came into church this morning. I don't know if you felt like praising God. I don't know if you sort of waited until you seen what the songs were before you decided whether you were going to praise God. And sometimes when it comes to praising God in song particularly, but we all know that that's not the only way to praise God, but when it comes to praising God in song in particular, sometimes it means we've got to bring a sacrifice. I choose to do this this morning because you are God and you're worthy of my praise for no other reason. I choose to do this because you are God. Just to state the obvious for a moment, uh, Psalm 86.12, although that's Psalm 9.1, but uh, 86.12 comes after 86.11, which says this, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart, and then I will praise you with all my heart. Do you know that's a great personal and corporate prayer, that we would be a people of undivided hearts. Because whenever our hearts are divided, then, as I say, other things take God's place in our lives rather than being wholeheartedly devoted to him. Second thing, I will seek you, Psalm 119 says, with all my heart. So a surrendered heart is not just a praising heart, it's also a searching heart. It's a heart that goes after God. It's a heart that says, there's always more of you, God, to uncover. There's always more of you to discover. God, your greatness is unfathomable. But I'm going to keep plumbing the depths. I'm going to keep searching after you. Because those who seek you will find you if they seek you, God, with all their hearts. The third thing. A searching heart is a repentant or a returning heart. Jeremiah 24.7 says this. I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord. They will be my people. I'll be their God. For they will return to me with all their heart. Do you know whenever we do disobey God. Whenever we do compromise. Whenever we do get distracted. Then rather than beat ourselves up. Rather than feel guilty about it. What we should do is say. Okay God. I recognize that my heart is in the process of drift. I recognize I have begun to entertain other things in my life. I've taken my eyes off you. But I come to you this morning with a repentant heart. And I confess my need of you. I confess my need to be wholeheartedly surrendered to you. 
And therefore, like the prodigal, we can run back into his forgiving arms. And the final thing I want to highlight is the need to serve God with all our hearts. Deuteronomy 10.12 says this, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. The fourth thing is a surrendered heart is a serving heart. We're going to pick this up next week. But it was the other positive spy, Joshua, who said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And just as we bring this part of our service to a close, that is a commitment to make. As for me and my house, we'll serve. And my prayer for us is that we would be people with Caleb hearts. People whose hearts love, praise, seek, and return and serve God. But we serve God with this level of intensity wholeheartedly.